Welcome to the Niche Enrollment Insights Podcast. In this podcast, our goal is to focus less on the promise of best practices, instead look for the processes and questions that spark internal reflection and lead to novel solutions tailored to your institution. I'm Will Patch, Senior Enrollment Insights Leader for Higher Ed at Niche, and my guest today is Ryan Fuens-Bliss. Ryan is the Executive Director of the Michigan College Access Network, or MCAN, and brings 20 years of experience and passion to the nonprofit that focuses on access and advocacy around post-secondary education and equity across the state of Michigan. There are a lot of big questions about partnerships between institutions and other communities that I'm going to ask him about today, so we're just going to dive right in. So welcome. Thanks for making time to chat today, Ryan. So glad to be here. Love talking about this important stuff. Yeah, I know you're you're running around all the time with meetings and, and work here, so we'll try to keep things pretty tight. So I'm going to start off with two questions that I ask everybody. What's something that you tried that didn't work and what'd you learn? Yeah, this is a great question. One of the things that we tried uh, early on in our, our existence was to create a portal that other states had had that was sort of like a one-stop shop for students. Uh, school counselors could use it, you know, after-school programs could use it, institutions could use it as a way to encourage students to explore their options for post-secondary and ultimately make a decision and, and jump in. We launched this thing. We spent a ton of money on it. We spent lots of time training. It was a great idea. And in other states, it's working so well. And it just flopped so hard in Michigan. Really? It was it was probably our biggest disappointment in the history of the organization because it was such a great idea and it just didn't work. We couldn't get school counselors or students to give up the local systems that they were using. Mm-hmm. They were really married to some of those systems and how they worked, and we just couldn't get them to jump. There wasn't an incentive. And ultimately, you know, in hindsight, getting them to leave something that they really liked and were comfortable with probably wasn't the best strategy, even mm-hmm. though our system did a little more and was more locally tailored. That sort of disruption in their sort of workflow when they're already trying to be really uh, efficient <laughs> was yeah. was not helpful, I think. And so what we learned from that was to, I think, talk to folks a lot earlier in the process. I think people would have been real honest with us and say, like, great idea, but we're not going to probably jump to that. You know, we're really married to this system. We really like what we're doing. I think they would have been really clear with us. And we could have maybe tried to convince a few, and then we could have learned that we weren't going to convince a few <laughs> and so that we we shouldn't invest so so much in it. Theoretically, I would argue Michigan still needs something like that, but it's not going to happen. We're working against a tide, and so we've shifted gears. And instead, we've partnered with the system that most schools use now to help that be better, to help do training on it, and to sort of meet schools where they are. Okay. Yeah. I've heard that come up a few times now of building that buy-in, building the stakeholder awareness and and building advocates very early. Sounds like similar theme there. Yeah. I would say that is a practice that we now build into our systems is to, you know, talk to people. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What practices do you use to brainstorm and bring new ideas into your work? This is one of the things I love at MCAN. We do a ton of brainstorming. You know, we're a 501c3. We're not a state agency. We're not at an institution. We're not at a K-12 school. So we just have all sorts of opportunity to think big, to do disruption, but not the disruption that didn't work the first time. 
to really think about what are the core issues that are causing the challenges in enrollment, persistence, and completion, and how do we tackle those things creatively? So oftentimes we'll get a crew together, a, you know, a team of our, our larger staff, sometimes it's the entire staff, you know, we'll put a whiteboard up and we'll just go at it. What are the core problems? What do we think we could do to fix that? What are we already doing that's working? What are we doing that's not working? What are other people doing that we could partner with? And just sort of, you know, spaghetti it up on the wall to see what sticks. And then we start to put things together. What's really within our scope, right? We have a mission and we have a vision and we don't want to stray from that. So some things are like other people should manage this. You know, we're not going to start solving the housing crisis for students. It's yeah. just not within our, our scope or realm of influence, but that is an issue. And really start to like challenge each other. We have a, um, a consultant who recently told me, MCAN has a lot of healthy conflict. And I said, that's a really interesting thing to say. Tell me more about that. And she said, I've just observed you challenge each other respectfully as a way of brainstorming and as a way of making ideas better. You build on each other's ideas. You're really honest when you think something isn't a good idea. And it's all about sort of like this collective collaboration of creation that gets you to the best idea at the end. And I I really reflected on that observation from someone from the outside. And I think that that's really true. We really uh, are, are direct and honest with each other, all about making the product better or the program better or the grant better, whatever we're working on. And that seems to work really well. Yeah. I think an organization where people feel safe and where people feel able to, to voice their ideas, their concerns, that they're not just nodding their head at what, what you say, but instead are able to have that that conflict and voice, you know, I don't I don't think maybe that's the right direction. Let's try this. What do you think about that? That's it think says a lot about the organization itself. Yeah, I think you're right. I think people feel like they can they can be really creative. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. we'll come in a meeting and someone will say, just go with me on this. What if yeah. we <laughs> threw out everything we've already decided and we did this other thing? And I think staff that are newer to our team have seen the response to that isn't absolutely not. We never do that. It's, wow, great idea. Let's think about this. How bold can we be? And I think it does communicate that folks are, you know, are free to dream big. Mm -hmm. If we can't dream big, you know, being disconnected from the institutions and the bureaucracy, nobody can. Yeah. Well, jumping in here. I think sometimes we can focus on all the good that colleges do for their communities and the states. I mean, that's, that's easy to see. And I know we're, we're both a little biased on that as well, but let's flip it. How are strong communities good for their local colleges? Yeah, this is, there's a symbiosis, right? Between the community and the college, the college is an economic engine for most communities, you know, it's transformative. If you look at the political map, you look at the economic map of Michigan, where there are certain spots, you know, depending on how you feel about politics and economics, you can see the differences that institutions make in their communities. But mm-hmm. one of our early strategies at MCAN was to do community development to help build stronger institutions and to help propel students into institutions. And so we've done a lot of thinking and work on the community level. And it's really clear that if the community is not open and welcoming to students, 
that the institution is going to really struggle. And this is especially true for the students that are primary to our mission, students of color, first-generation college-going students, and low-income students. If the community is like, we don't want those people here, mm-hmm. that's a problem. Yeah, We have a ton of regional universities in Michigan, state universities in Michigan. They're more accessible. They're more close to most people. Uh, lots of our folks in our state go to those, but they're also not really in urban areas for the most part. Mm-hmm. So if you're a black student in Detroit and you want to go up to Northern Michigan University, which is in Michigan's Upper Peninsula and Marquette, mm-hmm. that community isn't exactly thriving with people of color. Yeah. So the community has to embrace those folks, embrace that diversity. And and I don't mean just culturally, things like where can these students get their hair products? Where can they access the cultural things that they need to access in a community that doesn't have a lot of that because they don't have a lot of people of color? And the true that same of, you know, first gen and low income students, if the community's not ready to embrace them and lift them up and provide services and supports, everybody suffers. Where that symbiosis works well, we see thriving communities, thriving institutions, successful students. And, you know, in a lot of these communities, the students love it so much they decide to stay there. Mm-hmm. And that's good because that's yeah. talent for the local economy. So I think those are important things that communities need to, to think and remember. I, I live in a small township in Michigan, just sort of like a subunit of municipal government. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're just north of East Lansing. And in the southern part of our township, there is housing development and apartment complex that has about 5,000 Michigan State University students. And I see our community both embrace them and also sort of push them off. Uh, sort of like that element, you know, our police and fire are always in that area. Uh, you know, the students are causing trouble. And that mindset, I think, is really unhelpful. Yeah. You know, from an economic point of view, it's sort of silly that that housing development, that apartment complex brings a lot of tax revenue into the community that pours into resources that students don't typically tap into. You know, they're not sending kids to t-ball and they're not going to the library and they're you know they don't even necessarily know they're part of this community because they identify more with the university community so i think it's a really unhealthy attitude not to embrace those students and welcome them into community into the community and all of the things that they bring and yeah you know with more people in general there becomes more problems but the community's got to be ready to handle that and handle that in a in an appropriate way as we think about our, you know, judicial systems and things like that. If we're just looking to punish people, especially students, young people, low-income people, people of color, that's that's just not going to work long-term. And being here in rural Indiana, which is has some similarities to Michigan, I've, I've heard people say before that, well, the, the college isn't good for the area because they don't pay taxes. Like, well, okay, but what about all the other things they do, the programs they do for local students? What about all the revenue that the students attending it and the faculty and the administrators all bring into the area? Just as a parent of three kids, most of the people we get to babysit our kids are college students. And I know that seems like really simple at the micro level, but like Mm -hmm. if you were to take the college students out of our community here, local households (laughs) would have a real, real trouble keeping things going because that that's such a simple and easy 
point of support that they're bringing. And, you know, they're working at grocery stores and movie theaters and all the other places. There's just a lot of positivity. And in Michigan, our governor just set up a, a growing together commission, which is basically a population growth commission. We're not growing in our population as stronger as other states. We're actually one of the lowest right now. Mm -hmm. And the government has decided that's, you know, troublesome. So one of the strategies that we're going to push as part of the, the coalition here is colleges, college communities, college towns, college students are helpful to the economy. And then getting those folks to stay in Michigan, take their talents to Detroit, to Grand Rapids, to, you know, Northern Michigan and stay and build families. And again, sort of set roots down. All of that's good for population. All of that's good for economy. All of that's good for, you know, diversity and, and growing our understanding of humanity at the local level, which I think, you know, colleges and college graduates can really help do. So, you know, we're thinking about just growing the pop, growing the number of people in Michigan and how colleges and college students are going to be part of that. You know, what are some things that colleges can do to partner with their community more to help build access? Get off campus is my best advice. <laughs> uh, right now, you know, it's been a tight budget time for our institutions post uh, pandemic, and they've really sort of hunkered down and, and pulled internal. And I think that's been really detrimental to their enrollment and de detrimental to their reputations in the community. So my advice to them has been get off campus, invest in your communities, show up in your communities, be present. And it makes a big difference when, you know, we work with a lot of school counselors here at MCAN. When we talk to them and they know their college rep from XYZ University by name and have a relationship with them it's a really positive thing. It feels less transactional. Like I'm here mm -hmm. to recruit your students, you know, come into my, I want tuition dollars, come to my college. Yeah. You know, it's just, it, it doesn't feel great. When you can build those relationships, it really makes a difference and it, it builds trust and not just in the person, but in the institution. Mm -hmm. You know, I can rely on a Central Michigan University. I can rely on an, you know, Olivet College because I know that person and they've built some relationships with me. So that includes, you know, bringing people to campus, paying for buses to bring students to campus, being present, getting your mascot out there at the mm -hmm. college events on uh, on high school campuses. We do a lot of decision days in Michigan, sort of uh, that like NCAA, where students are going to go, uh, signing day type of work. Yep. Colleges, hundreds of, or excuse me, high schools, hundreds of high schools across the state hold these events in late April and early May of each year. And having the colleges present there and celebrating, you know, the 10 students from this high school who have committed to going to my university, it's awesome. It's just so good. Everyone feels good about it. The students feel good about their decision. The uh, high schools feel good about sending students there. The parents feel good about sending students there. It just builds that that trust and that relationship. And it's investing in those communities that are ultimately investing in the institutions. Yeah. There was a, one I attended in Ohio one time that was an academic signing day. So, you know, they always have the signing days for athletics, but they yeah. did it for everyone who had earned the, the merit scholarships. And that was a really interesting idea. I hadn't seen a lot of schools do that, but I loved it. It really built that that culture of how much scholarship money, of course, but then where students are going beyond just for athletic reasons. Yeah, we have about 350 schools, K-12 schools each wow. year that do those types of things. And some of them are assemblies. And 
I've seen English teachers bake a cake and put the logos of the colleges on the cake that all of their students are going to, like big things and small things, but really building that college-going culture and celebrating it. And we encourage them to do that building-wide. So while you're celebrating what your seniors are going to do next year, we want your juniors, your sophomores, your freshmen to see that to see that that is valued, that there's post-secondary plans, to see that that is celebrated, to see that people, your neighbors, your colleagues, your peers are going to these places and can access these opportunities. It really sets the tone for the entire building. And I think that leaches into the community that, you know, we're sending students all over the place to really great colleges and we hope they come back and, you know, build new businesses and lead organizations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and be community organizers here. I have to think at least a little that that makes those high school students feel more embraced by their community too as they go off to college. We hear a lot of small towns. I'm I'm from a small town that we, you know, you there's just not a lot of opportunity, and so people just want to, they get out, they want to go somewhere else. They, but if you're feeling really embraced and welcomed and celebrated there, I have to imagine that makes them more likely to want to come back after high school. Yeah, and it in general helps with retention and persistence once they get there, right? If students feel they've got some support back home, they feel like the institution mm-hmm. is celebrating them. You know, I always describe it like if a student stopped showing up to their classes, would anybody on campus notice? Mm-hmm. Would anybody on campus do anything? And if the answer is no, that's problematic. If students yeah. feel like I nobody knows I'm here, nobody cares I'm here, you know, that's sort of an existential crisis for them, and they're not going to stay there. So they've got to be supported by their home community. They've got to be propelled by their home high school, and they have to be welcome and embraced at their, you know, institutions that they decide to go to, or it just all falls apart. We've seen a couple of rural communities here in Michigan worried that if we ship our students out to college, and, you know, it wasn't a college town, so it means leaving the community, Mm -hmm. it'll be detrimental to all of us. You know, we'll lose everybody. The community will die. We'll lose our children, so to speak. And I, I get that, especially as a parent. I really understand that feeling. But it it just isn't healthy. It isn't, it isn't good. Students don't feel like they want to be trapped somewhere and they want Mm -hmm. opportunity and they don't want to be forced to, you know, work in a particular place that may or may not pay well and may or may not have, you know, benefits. They want to be able to grow and thrive. And hopefully if we, you know, sort of like that statement, if you love them, let them go, you know, if you love our children, let them go. And hopefully they'll come back to the, to that love and that love in that community and help build that community up and, and be the leaders there. I just haven't seen an example where sort of preventing kids from going to college or dissuading people from going to college ends up being a good thing for communities or families. Yeah. How can leaders partner with their region to find opportunities for innovation? And then who should they be reaching out to that they might not be thinking about? You know, that's, we talk about these town and gown relationships, you know, but I don't, I don't know the offices always know who should they be reaching out. They, that, that's a big part of it. Well, in Michigan, we have 25 local college access networks, LCANs. So we're MCAN, mm-hmm. they're LCANs. Uh-huh. And they're local efforts to do what we do at the state level, increase post-secondary attainment. So there's a person or multiple people in a community who wake up every day thinking, how can we get more of our students into college and thrive? 
And they're great at connecting and aligning partnerships between K-12, between higher ed, workforce, employers, nonprofits, funders, governments, bringing them all to the table under the heading of how do we increase post-secondary attainment in our community. So in Michigan, where these LCANs exist, they're great folks to connect with. Students and parents can connect with them to find their way. You know, institutions can connect with them to be well-connected. Uh, to the other institutions and and sort of put into the pipeline system that they're building locally. It's really positive community development. And in Michigan, if they don't have an LCAN, we at MCAN help spark those LCANs. Mm -hmm. So we've got a bucket of funding that communities can access. We do a ton of training, technical assistance. Uh, We convene them regularly, provide them resources so that they can help build this college-going culture in their local community. So I would say in Michigan, that is a great place for people to start. Do you have a local Mm -hmm. college access network? If you're not in Michigan, there are other states that have LCANs, but LCANs are certainly not a trademarked thing for Michigan. Any community could build them. You know, we, we gather high-level leaders from across the community who agree that there's a problem with enrollment persistence and completion and ultimately the attainment rate in a community, and what are we going to do collectively to help fix it? And what we found is that decreases uh, competitiveness, where you have multiple colleges and multiple high schools, and it really, you know, a rising tide lifts all boats type of thing, if I'm going to use lots of uh, old sayings today. <laughs> uh, that's true with an LCAN. They really see where we change the culture of the community to be more college-going and college-friendly. Everybody wins in that situation. And so uh, anybody in any local community could build a partnership like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I'm one. I'm, I'm a fan of the old idioms, so I think they're really keen and whatever floats your boat there. Are there ways that you sort of network and get ideas with other states, other regions that might have these types of things? Yeah. So uh, the National College Attainment Network and our friends at Civic Lab, who are actually in Indiana as well, mm-hmm. uh, convene network leaders from across the country to talk about these issues. What are you doing in your okay. state? What are you doing in your region? How can we help across the country? Because you know, functionally, college attainment is a problem almost everywhere in the country. So uh, there's no ideas that we would want to keep in Michigan or, you know, not steal from other places because, again, we're talking ultimately about helping people. It's not like I don't want people in Indiana to go to college because I'm working on Michigan. It's a win for all of us if everybody does. So, uh, you know, we gather together, we talk to each other, we share resources. So there is a a network of networks, if you will, across the country. Are there other units of government, nonprofits, other agencies that you'd recommend, hey, you might want to look for this type of organization as well that you might not have been reaching out to? Yeah, most states have a higher ed authority, someone mm-hmm. who, uh, someone or some agency that is running higher ed in the state or governing higher ed in the state. We don't have that in Michigan, but most states have something like that. And if institutions are all connected to that entity, but other folks could be connected to them as well. You know, their job is to make higher ed better, to promote higher ed, to get more students to go again into and persist and complete from college. So they're great agencies to connect with as well. And what we've learned in Michigan over our 13 years of existence is everybody is thinking about this in some way. They may not be waking up day to day thinking about this all the time like I am and we are here. 
but you know they're an after-school program and they're thinking man we could change our curriculum to be more college going college friendly we could you know get some training on fafsa completion so that when we have seniors as part of our after-school program we can help them with that it, you know, their their existence is not to do college access and success, but there's a sliver of their work that fits in with that. And I've just found that to be true of neighborhood organizations, mm-hmm. United Ways, community foundations that are giving scholarships. Uh, you know, everybody is thinking about this talent production, talent retention issue, at least in Michigan, that that is the talk of the town. So there's funders who are pointed toward it. There's programs that are pointed to it. So I really encourage people to look at the resources that exist in your community. And I bet many of them have some facet of this work embedded in them. When you're working with the institutions, both higher ed and K-12, what are tactics that you're seeing as being the most successful? And then how can colleges work in similar strategies for their own institutions so they can work on access and equity? Yeah, you know, to continue my old time saying, slow and steady wins the race. (laughs) Institutions are bureaucratic. They are slow moving, especially when you have shared governance uh, systems, which I ultimately support. But that does make things uh, take a little bit longer. What we have found is you can't convince an institution to change everything all at once, even though many institutions need to be more student friendly and need to change a lot of things to get there. Mm -hmm. uh, They just aren't built to do that. They're built to think about things, talk about things, and then maybe act on some of those things. And so that is a strategy we have embraced. Uh, It can be frustrating at times, but you know, what is the one thing that an institution can tackle? Right now, a lot of our community and tribal colleges in the state are tackling uh, remedial education reform. Mm -hmm. We know that that doesn't work. We know it sticks uh, first gen, students of color, low income students, and they just don't graduate at high numbers if they get stuck in those, you know, English or math 101 or 099 courses, depending on how you code them. That, that's a thing that the institution is taking on. And, you know, me sitting in my office in Lansing running a nonprofit, I think, you know, boy, that would be easy to fix. I'm just going to mm-hmm. instruct the faculty to do this and we're going to change the curriculum to do that and reschedule yep. the courses and financial aid will work like this. And boy, isn't that naive of me. Yeah. <laughs> so we really need to, you know, take it slow and really provide handholding to the institutions. And I don't mean that in a, a negative way. I mean, technical assistance in, in cheerleading and embracing the changes that they're making and lifting them up. Uh, you know, the average parent or student or citizen of Michigan doesn't even know what remedial education is. They mm-hmm. certainly don't know that it needs to be reformed. So a student or excuse me, an institution that does massive work around that will have such change in the ability for students to be successful. I mean, it's huge, but it's like, there's no celebration. There's no parade. Nobody notices it, but we notice it at MCAN. So trying to lift that up and really celebrate institutions that are saying, we're going to do better. We're going to work to do better. We're going to do better by our students of color. Uh, You know, we're going to change systems that are getting those students stuck. That's huge. But it's like one thing at a time. So mm-hmm. right now, the institutions that are working on that, you know, remediation reform, we're not really poking them to do other things. But as soon as they close down that remediation reform and sort of systematic, systematically embedded in their uh, culture and in their processes, 
we'll start poking them about the next thing, the next opportunity, and we'll provide them money to do it and coaching to do that. And again, celebration to do that. Uh, so it really is encouraging the leadership to take on the hard stuff, supporting them to do that a little bit at a time, and then taking from those success stories, opportunities and best practices we can share with the next institution. And, and some of it is, it's not even technical in nature. It's just that it's possible. Hmm that this change is possible, that this culture is possible, because a lot of folks feel like these things are impossible. If, if I'm an admissions counselor, if I'm a middle manager and I'm really excited about this and I say, we should be going out and building more relationships, building more connections in the community, where would you advise them to take that first step to help build the buy-in among their leadership, among the rest of their staff to, to start something like this? Yeah, well, if you're in Michigan, give us a call. We will help. Mm-hmm. We will provide resources and support. And I'll personally call your president and encourage him <laughs> or her uh, to do this. If you're not in Michigan, though, you do have to start building a coalition internal to the institution. Uh, and that could include outside forces as well. But what I have found is that an institution isn't going to change uh, because outside forces are poking at it. They really have to want the change. You know, I imagine it's a lot like therapy, right? If I go to therapy, if the therapist wants me to change something, I'm not going to do it unless I really want to do it. It's just not going to work. It's true of institutions as well. They've got to get to the place where they want to do it. And my biggest points in sort of selling institutions on this systems level change is around student success and functionally money. This this actually works better for the finances of the institution. If more students are retaining, persisting, and completing, again, that's a win for everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, and using the data to show them that, you know, where an institution can invest a little bit of money in retention efforts, retaining students is really valuable. It, it helps the bottom line tremendously, especially in a state like Michigan, where our number of high school students is projected to shrink all through 2030. So that means the number of students that an institution has to recruit from is shrinking in the traditional sense. Hmm. So retaining the students you have is even more important, uh, even though it's always been really important. So those are the things that I try to help institutions to do and talk about, you know, looking at the data, looking at the finances, looking at the student success measures. uh, And ultimately, the core of the institution wants to do those things, will benefit with to do those things. But it does mean cultural change. It does mean practice change and process Mm -hmm. change that can be really uncomfortable and especially if you've got, you know, some ingrained leadership or ingrained culture that's been around for decades, most of the time at institutions, unpackaging that and getting people to move is, is really difficult. So, you know, it's sort of like community organizing. You've got to start to build the groundswell so that folks, there's a, you know, a large enough number who have bought in to get the mm-hmm. institution to, to move a direction. Well, Ryan, I really appreciate the time today. I appreciate your your clear passion for this. And I hope others can really connect. If you're in Michigan, they, they have someone they can reach out to now. Uh, and I hope they can kind of be motivated to look up where they can reach out lo- locally. So thank you again for your time today. Well, thanks for having me. Thanks for thinking about and talking about these issues. They're not mm-hmm. sexy, but they're really, really important. Well, I appreciate it. And I hope everyone has a great day. Thanks. Thanks.